0: Uh, Isaiah chapter nine. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a Bible underneath these you seats you're sitting in, and you're going to need it. All right, so reach down there, fumble around, find that blue Bible. Isaiah nine is where we're going to be uh, this morning, and actually, we're going to be there for the next four weeks plus Christmas Eve. Uh, Isaiah chapter nine is on page six hundred and thirty-eight, according to my hand. Six hundred and thirty-eight is where we're going to find Isaiah chapter nine, um, and we are, as I said, we're going to be sitting in this text for the next several weeks. Uh, together as a church, um, as we kind of walk through the season of, of Advent together. And so uh, I, Isaiah, Isaiah is a prophet in the Old Testament, and as prophets do, um, they prophesy. And this is a prophecy of the coming Messiah, one who is going to rule the world. And Isaiah is casting, casting his audience's mind forward and saying, there is hope, there's hope. There's one who is coming that's going to change everything for everyone. And Isaiah doesn't fully know or fully understand what the Messiah is going to be or what he's going to look like, but he does know this is the prophecy of the Messiah. So God has given him this this powerful word. And I want to look particularly um, over the next few weeks just at verse 6. We're going to sit in verse 6. This morning I'm going to read 6 and 7 for us, but we're really just going to sit in verse 6. Something we have not done for a while here at Flourishing Grace we're going to do this morning. Um, we, we, had, we spent three months gathering in the park, and we kind of got out of the habit of this, and then we did some, some topical things. I, just, we, I preached, like, what was it, four weeks on politics in the church. I needed a break. It's good to be back. So here's what we're going to do. If you would stand with me in honor and reverence of the Word of God as I read it for us this morning. Um, we here at Flourishing Grace believe that this is the Word of the God of all things. And here's what he has to say to us this morning. Isaiah chapter 9 Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. I guess you have a seat. Isaiah 9, Isaiah 9, this is a famous Christmas text, right? Um, and, and Isaiah says, you know, that we, we love it because it talks about the birth of a, of a baby, right? For unto us a child is born, to us a son has been given. So Isaiah claims, I mean, he, the Messiah is going to come to us, to a people, right? To us a baby is going to be born, not just any baby, but a baby boy. A son will be given. And not just any baby boy, not, not your run-of-the-mill, av- average, everyday child. No, the government will be upon his shoulders. What government's? America, China, Russia, Israel, what governments? The whole thing. This one, the weight of the entire world will sit upon his shoulders. All humanity will be judged with righteousness by this one, by this coming one. One is coming. A boy, a little boy is coming. And the government will sit upon his shoulders. In his name will be. Be called Wonderful, Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. Those five names are the five things that we're going to look at over the next four weeks plus Christmas Eve, right? Those five names. Now, some of you are saying, hang on a second, guys, there's four names. There's four names. He's a, it's Wonderful Counselor. That's, that's one name, right? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, wonderful. H- how many of you guys, okay, show of hands. How many of you guys secretly love the, the old King James version of the Bible? I- anybody in the room? Okay, a few of you. Don't be shy. I'm about to give you some props. Don't, don't be shy, right? A few of you, okay? The old King James. The old King James, if you're rocking that this morning, says, wonderful, comma, counselor, comma, in fact, if you go back to all of the theologians of old, you go back to um, Augustine and Calvin and Luther, you go back to the, to the great preachers of all time, this, the Spurgeons and the Edwards, the Owens, uh, the Whitfields, they all said wonderful comma counselor. But for some reason in our modern translations, we think that, that wonderful is the, is the adjective of counselor. It is, it's describing counselor, right? Because all of the other names have an adjective. All of the other names have something that describes it, right? Mighty God, right? Mighty is describing God. Everlasting Father. Everlasting describing Father. Um, peace is describing what type of prince he's going to be, right? But for a thousand years, well, more than a thousand years, thousands of years, wonderful has stood on its own. Why? Why did the theologians of old say wonderful, comma, counselor? Why is that? I believe it's accurate. I believe it's right. And, and the reason why is that they're drawn to another story in the Bible, in the Old Testament. In the book of Judges, uh, there's a famous judge. Anybody know who the most, kind of, most well-known judge is? Samson, yeah. When you have superhuman strength, People tend to remember you, all right? Samson, he's the most famous, most famous judge, right? But, but you probably don't know his, his parents. Um, Samson's dad's name is Manoah. And, and this, this, this man, uh, but like not a man, like this strange person, like it appears to Samson's mom when she describes him, she says, A man met me. But he was, he was, he was majestic. He was, he was different than a normal human being. He was, I don't know. And what he said to me was, I'm going to become pregnant with a child. I'm going to have a son. And I need to be careful with what I eat and what I drink because this son is going to be set apart for the work of the Lord. The God of all things is going to do great things for the nation of Israel through my baby boy. Samson is actually a type of Christ. That's a sermon for another day. But what's being described there is this picture of the coming Messiah. That's what Samson is. But this person that she meets describes this, and she goes home and she tells her husband Manoah. She says, "This is what this man thing person, this beautiful, this beautiful, beautiful man. This is a beautiful man, right? He told me this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to be like." And Manoah says, "Man, I need to meet this one. I need to meet this man." And so Manoah prays and he prays and he prays. God, would you, would you tell me? Would you show me the same thing that this one said to my wife? And sure enough, his wife again sees this same person. It says the same thing again, and she runs home. She gets her husband, and he comes and he meets this, this angelic man. And here's what Manoah says after this man tells him that he's gonna all, that he's gonna have a son. In verse 17 of Judges 13, it'll be up here on the screen for you. Says this, and Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, "What is your name?" So that when your word comes true, we may honor you. I want to tell everybody that this one declared that this is going to happen. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took a young goat with a grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up towards heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them no more. He disappeared. To and his wife. They disappeared. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen. There are certain times throughout the Old Testament where scholars believe that the pre-incarnated Christ shows up. You guys remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fiery furnace? It's so blazing hot that the guards get close and they're getting fried. And yet, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are walking around inside of the fiery furnace, untouched by the flames. And and the king looks in and says, but wait, how how many guys did we send into that furnace? thought it was three. Yeah, it was three. I see fourth. And the fourth one walking with them is like a son of man. There's this angelic, man-like person in there with them. Not fully an angel, not fully human. Who who is this in the flame? Scholars believe that. That's Jesus. Jesus walking with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. This angel of the Lord scholars believe that's also Jesus that shows up to Manoah and his wife it says my name it's wonderful why do you ask my name seeing that it is wonderful that's who i am that's who i am and so when isaiah is describing the coming messiah when isaiah is describing christ i do not believe that wonderful is describing counselor wonderful is describing christ and i have enough brilliant men that would agree with me on this to say let's let's go right if, if it's good enough for calvin and luther it's good enough for me the one whose name is wonderful here's what i want to do with the rest of our time i i, I want to just kind of give you four ways that jesus is wonderful listen it's my first sermon back in weeks I'm going with low-hanging fruit here, okay? This is easy, all right? I'm going to give you four. We could be here for months. I could give you four million reasons why Jesus is wonderful, right? But we're going to shoot low today. We're just going to say, hey, what are four ways that Jesus is is wonderful? How, how, How does this name describe our king? Wonderful. Wonderful. The first is this. For those of you who like to take notes, number one. The one whose name is wonderful is, is the wonderful creator and sustainer of all things. He is the wonderful creator and sustainer of all things. Everything. Everywhere. There's not one thing that he does not put his finger on and say, that's mine. I made that and I sustain that. Right now I am sustaining that. I love how Paul famously puts it in Colossians 1.15. This is, this is a, just brilliant. He says this. He says, he, Jesus... Is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things, all things, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Not just through him, but for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Everything. Everything. The things that cause us to wonder. What what gives you a sense of wonder? Like what what when you look at it, when you experience it, you say, God, oh, that's, that's amazing. Like that, I can't wrap my mind around it. What what are some of those things for you? Go ahead. I can see you. I can hear you. What gives us wonder? What causes you to stand in awe? Oh, wow, wait. This is an easy question. The mountains? The world that we're living in? The universe? Thanks for giving me a thanks for giving me an easy one, Dan, on my first my first Sunday back, right? The universe. Right? When you stare up at the stars, when you, go, when you go into the mountains under a new moon, right? And there's just just black. You drive out to the desert. You go up into the mountains. There is nothing. There's like, yeah, oh, like it's amazing. Like, I, when you move to Utah, right? It's like the first time in your life that you can actually see the Milky Way. You're like, there it is. There it is. And it's amazing. It's beautiful. But the more, the thing about the stars, think about the universe, think about the world we live in, Right? Is the more you know about it, it doesn't become less wonderful. It becomes more wonderful, right? Uh, scientists say that there are um, tens of billions, upwards of 100 billion solar systems in our galaxy. Just in our galaxy, like, like right here in the Milky Way. Like there are nine planets around the, the sun. Like that's one little solar system. It's tiny, it's tiny. There's upwards of 100 billion of those in our backyard. Amazing. And then and then there's a hundred more billion galaxies in in the observable universe. The more you know, the more your mind just goes, wonder. <clears throat> he made it all. He sustains it all. The, the world that we live in. Scientists say that there's about nine nine million species that we know of on planet Earth. It's insane, like like all these different species of apes, all these different species of fish, all these different species of birds, but they estimate that there's six million species that we don't even know of yet. they They haven't even discovered them. Think of what is happening. It's insane. But the one whose name is Wonderful knows them all. He has shaped them all. And he sustains them all. There is not one species. There is not one insect. There is not one microorganism on our planet right now. that he just does not know intimately. There's not one star there's a hundred billion galaxies in the in this in the kind of known universe what we can what we can kind of see with the most powerful satellite telescopes he doesn't need that he knows them all he knows them all and he knows you he knows you There's much more we could say on this, but I'm going to skip ahead to the next piece. Daniel, I'm going to skip a couple quotes on that. We're running out of time. He is the wonderfully incarnated God. The one whose name is wonderful, the one whose name is wonderful, is the wonderfully incarnated God of all things. I love the story in Luke 2 of the shepherds in the field, right? The angels appear to the shepherds and and they say, right, For unto you, you you, you lowly, dirty, stinky shepherds, for unto you is born this day in the city of David. Does that sound familiar? Is that any bells going off in the room? What's What's the angel quoting? Let me, let me read you our text again for this morning, Isaiah 9.6. For to us a child is born. To us a son together. To unto you is born this day. He is quite, he's, he's fulfilling. Isaiah 9.6, right there. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who will be called Christ the Lord, the Messiah. The Messiah, the one who will hold the government upon his shoulder, is, is born this day. The born, for unto you is born this day. Savior. He is, he is the wonderfully incarnated God. And this separates Christianity from every religion on the planet. All of the other religions of the earth say, say, listen, if you follow me, right, what you need is a prophet. What you need is a wise man. What you need is a sage. What you need is a scribe. That's what you need, somebody who you can follow. And if you follow me, I will lead you to God. I will teach you. I will show you who he is. I will show you the wonders of his hands. I will will, will show you all about him. And, and yes, you need to give me some money and some power and some sex along the way. But, I, but if you follow me, I'll show you. Not in Christianity. Not in Christianity. No, no, no. Our God comes to us. This is insane. This is the, one, this is the most wonderful thing about our faith. We don't need a scribe. We don't, we don't need a prophet. We have our God. We have our God. He comes to us. He walks with us. He teaches us. In Matthew 23, Jesus says, this is one of the places where Jesus says, man, I am the God of all things. Right? And multiple times Jesus says that he is God. But in Matthew 23, Jesus says, man, I've sent you prophets. I send prophets. I send wise men. I send scribes. And you murdered them. You beat them. You crucified them. No more. No more. I'm not going to send you prophets. I'm not going to send you scribes anymore. I'm here. I've come myself. I've come to rescue and redeem you. The one whose name is wonderful has come for you. And therefore, he should be called wonderful. This brings us to the third point. The one whose name is wonderful... Is the wonderful, is our wonderful Savior. He's our wonderful Savior, right? Oh, what a Savior, isn't he? What's the word? Yeah. Dan sings it for me. Come on, guys, you got to sing for Brett? You want to sing for me? Dan sings for me. Listen, isn't he wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? He is our wonderful Savior. His work on the cross is insane, it's so big. It's so amazing. It's so wonderful. But what did Jesus have to do in order to become our wonderful Savior? What did he have to do to become our wonderful Savior? Again, I love how Isaiah puts it. This is a different Messianic prophecy. Isaiah 53, 2-6. through six. Isaiah says this. It will be up on the screen for you. For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of a dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, the one whose name is wonderful had to take off his wonder. He had to leave he had to leave the wonder behind in order to do the most wonderful thing for you. He had to step out of wonder. Leave it behind. Why? Why would he do this? What, what, what is his motivation to, to step out of the most wonderful place ever, or the most wonderful worship ever? He leaves it all. He steps out of wonder and becomes, as Isaiah says, One who has no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. Why would he do that? To wrap you in his own wonder. To make you wonderful. You have been made wonderful by the blood of Christ. That he might wash you with the water of his word. Present you to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that you might be holy without blemish, as Paul says in Ephesians 5. One whose name is wonderful has made you wonderful by his blood. And for all eternity, the angels will look upon you in wonder. The same emotion that you experience when you look upon the stars in the sky, the angels of heaven will experience when they look upon you for all eternity. You will be their wonder. You will cause them to say, Oh, how did he do that? Like, How did he, how did he make that? How did he make you that way? I can't. I'm like, they will stand in awe of the gospel for all eternity and say, and the more they know, the more they grasp, the more they understand of the gospel and the beauty and the wonder that is the saints in Christ, the more they'll say, oh man, it's amazing. This is insane. I love how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians. Fifteen, Sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 17. He says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. N- no one. You, 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 we once thought you were like human, but you're no longer human. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we once looked upon him with no majesty, no awe, no wonder. We, didn't, we used to do as a man. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The new has come. You're no longer who you once were. You're no longer who you once were. If you are in Christ, and I know not everybody is, but if you are in Christ, if you've given your life to him, you thrust yourself upon the, the feet of the cross of Christ, you're no longer who you once were. And so you, you who worry that you don't make enough money you don't make as much as the guy down the street. You don't have all of those things and all that stuff. You've been made wonderful by the one whose name is wonderful. You, you who don't look the way that you wish you'd look. You're not, you're not as pretty as this person or as, as fit as this person. You who have judged yourself based on the standards of this world. The one whose name is wonderful has made you wonderful by his own standard and his standard is much higher than yours you who have submitted your identity to the measure of the world you have been made wonderful by the one whose name is wonderful you've never known such wondrous love such wondrous power as the love and power displayed on the cross lastly we, we wonderful people, who've been made wonderful, are people looking forward to the wonderful return of the one whose name is wonderful. Advent, as I said earlier, points us Points us back to the coming of Christ, and we look at that event. And we look at the, we hear the stories of the angels. We hear the stories of the the, of the Virgin Birth. We look, we hear the story of the of the manger in Bethlehem, and we say, man, that's that's wonderful. And it thrusts us to the cross and to the resurrection of Christ. We say, that's really wonderful. That's amazing. But it also thrusts us forward, to the second coming of Christ. To what I would argue is perhaps. In some ways, an even more wonderful event. Nothing will be more wonderful than the resurrection of Christ. But his coming, his return, will be wonderful for those who call him wonderful. It will not be wonderful for all. John tells us in Revelation 19 this. And I want you to listen to the names that are given to this one. Then I saw heaven open up, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. Does that sound familiar? Any any bells going off on that one? Isaiah 9, 7. There will be no end on the, throne of, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it in the whole with justice and with righteousness. It's the fulfilling of Isaiah 9 in Revelation. It's insane. Anyways, moving on. He makes war. His eyes are like the flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is Christ. This is Jesus. Anybody who tells you that the rider on the white horse is not Jesus doesn't know their Bible. They've never read their Bible before. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. Which which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the wine of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh are written the name, or, or has the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Five names, five names. Just like Isaiah, there's five names in Isaiah 9:6. There's five names in Revelation 19. Right? We see these five new names. Why? How? Why is there so many names for Jesus? Listen, when you are the creator and the sustainer of all things, when in you all things hold together, when you are the alpha and the omega, the beginning of the end, our human capacity struggles with what to call you. So we just give him a lot of names. He's that wonderful. He's that big. He's that massive. And one day the wonderful one will return for those whom he has made wonderful, and he will call us wonderfully home. And we will know him as wonderful for all eternity. And so here's what I want to ask you this morning, church. I want to, you've got to wrestle with this. Do you know him as wonderful? I I don't mean do you know him like you grew up going to church and you went to Sunday school and and you have this cognitive understanding of who Jesus is. No, do you know him? Like, do you have an intimate relationship with him? Have you drawn near to him? Have you, have you given your life to him? Have you said, man, I want to I spend my days, my remaining days on this temporary earth and this temporary life, getting to know the one who will be named wonderful for all eternity. I want to know him. On that day when he returns and I see the rider on the white horse, I want to say, there he is. Not, oh shoot, I'm in trouble. I want to know him. I say, that's the wonderful one. And I know him. I've known him for my entire life. Do you know him that way? On that day, and I pray it's soon, I pray it's today. Will you be able to say, I know him. I know the one whose name is wonderful. If you're unsure on that, and you say, man, I, I actually don't know, I would love to talk to you about that. No strings attached. I would love to answer your questions. I, I would love to be able to share with you what, what I know about him and what I know of him. I would love to talk to you about that. I would love to talk to you about how you can know him the way that I know him. I'd love to help you with that. But my prayer is for us, for all of us, as we march through Advent, that you would constantly be drawn in wonder to the person of Christ. As you look back to his first coming, as we look forward to his second coming, that you would say, man, that, that's wonderful. And he is wonderful. If you want to talk more about that, I'll be right down here after our gathering today. I would love to talk to you about that. Let me pray for you. Jesus, would come before you this morning. Wonderful Savior. Wonderful creator and sustainer of all things. Wonderfully incarnated God. Wonderful Savior. Wonderful returning King of Kings. Uh, Would you humble us this morning? Would you stir our awe and wonder of you? Would we know that beyond a shadow of doubt... Why you are called wonderful? And would we be a people who, for the rest of our days, ascribe that name to you? When people say, "Man, who is Jesus?" we say, "He is wonderful." Let me tell you why. Let me give you four reasons why. Praise you for being a God who leaves wonder behind in order to make us wonderful. We love you. Praise you. Blessing's your name. Amen. Why don't you guys go ahead and stand, we're going to sing one last song together.